So when we were talking to Donnie G about uh, reviewing Sleepy Hollow, uh, he he seemed pretty excited and said that he had a uh, movie in mind for this. Uh, I, I don't think it's the same movie we watched. Oh, I can't imagine that it is. Let's take a listen. <laughs> and now it's time for another episode of I think I downloaded the wrong movie. What is up, everyone? It is Donnie G, and today I am going to be reviewing the independently made short, The Horny Headless Horseman. Synopsis. The Headless Horseman caught a charming poor thing at Halloween and is ready to satisfy his sexual hunger. <laughs> For what it is, it really is good. Jeez. It starts out with who is intended to be the Headless Horseman, who is literally just a guy with a jack-o'-lantern mask on his head. He rides up on the sexy brunette, who just happens to be naked, and of course they start fucking. To further break it down, of course. it starts out with her blowing him, uh, then it goes to missionary, then cowgirl, doggy style, and they end the scene with him busting all over her face and pits. To be honest, when the guy came in with fucking pumpkin on his head, dude, I rolled my eyes and I shook my head. But once I got past that, man, I became a fan of this one. Uh, she really was a skilled deep throater. Uh, the camera work was really well done with close-ups and wide angles, uh, and it really did a good job of making her the center of attention. There was no music at all, so you could hear everything that you were supposed to. Gross. In the runtime, it was less than eight minutes, but it was still really good work. The website that I found this on, it was fourpig.com. Uh, full disclosure, 100% not a sponsor, but you're more than welcome to if you want to. Uh, it had 418 votes with a 100% approval rating, and I completely agree with that ranking. That's why I am giving it my very first five out of five eggplants. Wow. I'm not even going to deduct for having the jack-o'-lantern mask, uh, because without that, it wouldn't be the Headless Horseman. And that is going to be it for me today, my friends. Uh, as always, you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok, Big Bald M F E R, and also don't forget to follow the podcast at Death Holler Podcast. And until next time, friends, go fuck yourself. Wow, that sounds I like a that with a bang on that one. <laughs> <laughs> First five out of five eggplants. Look, I have to give him some credit for this because I'm looking for the photos or I'd been looking for the photos to, you know, put this together, if you will. Um, <clears throat> and I know for a fact he had to sift through a lot of gay porn to find that. So. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, so that wasn't uh, that headless horseman found his head, but in a different <laughs> way. Shut up. <laughs> Maybe a version of it that's not so perfect. We'll see. Uh, movie discussion numero dos. Uh, let's uh, go discuss Sleepy Hollow, the 1999 Tim Burton film. Um, 
written by or directed by Tim Burton, obviously written by Washington Irving based on a short story, but also Kevin Yeager and uh, Andrew Kevin Walker, who did the screenplay uh, music by Danny Elfman. Uh, made for a budget of seventy million U.S. dollars, uh, box office of two hundred and seven million, so big money maker. Yes. Principal players: Johnny Depp, what playing Ichabod Crane? Yeah, don't know who that guy is. Uh, he's married to that one lady that shit the bed, right? <laughs> <laughs> he was or was, was married. married. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, Ichabod in this version is kind of a detective. He's a skeptic, and he is a real son of a witch. I mean. He legitimate. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. Legitimately my shirt. Of... Wife, mom, witch. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what's your favorite Johnny Depp uh, movie? I mean, there's so he's in a ton of shit, so. Um, we talked about Corpse Bride, so we, we talked about him in that. Yeah. God, uh, you're putting me on blast right now because, okay. I'll be I'll be honest with you. It's not my favorite movie by him, but I think his best acting job was whenever he did Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Okay. Because he very much embodied Hunter S. Thompson in that movie. Um, I don't think this, I don't hate this movie. I, I, I don't love this movie either. Um. But I liked him in the um, and it's it's I forget what the name of the movie is from Hell. Uh, yes, Jack the Ripper. Yep. First of all, I was obsessed with Jack the Ripper at way too young of an age, and well, not him himself, but how he got you away. You mean H. H. Holmes, right? Oh, that too. Yes. And um, I, for whatever reason, the ending of that film, which I will not discuss, I uh, really stuck with me. I liked him as a character in that. Um, of course, everybody knows him from, as Jack Sparrow. That's his most charismatic character that he ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Edward Scissorhands, you know. Yeah. Big, big Tim Burton film. Oh, my God. And right probably, in the feels, too. And probably Tim Burton's best, you know, I'm going to give credit to Cody for this one because he brought it up and he's right. It's probably Tim, uh, Edward Scissorhands is probably Tim Burton's best romance that he ever put on film because he tries to introduce romances into a lot of his stories and a lot of them fall flat but edward scissorhands works yeah um but really that film other than there's not a lot of fear in it there's a little bit but not a lot i think more than anything um it really gets all the rest of your feelings though anger sadness happiness you know uh love like you know romance like you throw out there yeah, I mean, and, and yeah, even just the, the and you, I mean, deeper versions of all that stuff, like longing and depression mm-hmm. and all that stuff, because, I mean, just like, you know, the end of it, whenever she's, like, talking about, you know, uh, I mean, she's, you know, an older version, you know, Winona's writer is, like, you know, relaying this story, and, and she still goes out every year to, you know, so he, to the snow or whatever that he, you know, because they've not seen each other since the events. I yeah. don't know. It just, it works. Oh, I love it. Uh, we have Christina Ricci playing Katrina Van Tassel, daughter of the richest man in town. She is a white witch, uh, Brahms lover, but low-key ready to get down with Ichabod. Big time. Well, they don't make Ichabod uh, ugly in this film. He is way too good-looking to be the, the awkward, you know, Ichabod that we get from the 1949 version. Yeah, well, uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> 
uh yeah and uh yeah that's true uh everything you just said uh christian ricci i was gonna be wednesday adams i don't care uh, who, yes i don't i don't i don't care if uh jenna ortega knocks it out of the park uh, it's my wednesday's still gonna be Always. you know christina ricci 100 percent uh she's been in a few other things casper uh a movie from like the late 90s early 2000s called cursed which is a werewolf film uh, and I was looking, there probably is enough werewolf films since we had that discussion last episode to have a season out of it. I, I don't know that they're going to, we, we're going to have to like pace it out like the big hitters though, because I think we're going to like be sick to death of seeing bad werewolf films in between the, the good ones. Oh yeah. Whatever. <laughs> uh, but that'll probably be the same case with which season when we get to that. Um, we have, uh, and she also played Lizzie Borden in a TV movie about Lizzie Borden's life. So that's kind of weird. Okay. Miranda R- Richardson's playing Lady Van Tassel. She's a real witch, um, in all the senses of the word. She's a gold digger, uh, a wicked stepmother and a stone cold killer. She's hot in this uh, film. Yeah. She, She's older. Surprising too. Yeah, uh, it's very surprising because I did not know until I was doing the, uh, the you know, looking through IMDb and, like, putting in there what movie she was in. Well, first of all, she was in The Crying Game, which is hilarious. If wow. You know what that movie's about. <laughs> uh, and that movie, I'm surprised, isn't on the top of the canceling list for the, you know, the alphabet people, but that's a whole other argument. Um, but she was in Blackadder, and, and that was back in the 80s and 90s that she was in that, and she played like this uh, psychotic, uh, almost, uh, I want to, uh, it's almost like the Harley Quinn from, you know, the, the you know Batman or something, you know, how she, you know, kind of the way she is in the movies, played yeah. by Margot Robbie. Uh, just imagine Queen Elizabeth I, but with that kind of attitude where she's, one minute she's joking with you, the next minute she's literally like ordering somebody to chop your head off. Well, that's, you hear that's, that's how she, Queen Elizabeth was, so. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's how she played it. Um, and she was Rita Skeeter in the new Harry Potter movies. Oh, shit. Uh, there's a lot of Harry Potter alumni in this movie, by the way, before we get too much farther into this. And uh, Fred Claus, she played uh, Mrs. Claus in that movie. Oh, okay. We have Michael Gambon playing Baltus Van Tassel, the wealthiest landowner of Sleepy Hollow, uh, father to Katrina and cucked by a witch. And, uh, of course, he's Dumbledore going into our Harry Potter alumni again. And uh, he was in the that movie Toys uh, that had Robin Williams in it and okay. uh, Joan Cusack, if you ever saw that. He played like the evil general and uncle to Robin Williams' character. Casper uh, Van Dien plays Brom Van Brunt, uh, Katrina's lover and Ichabod's bully and a total badass when he goes to actually fight uh, the Headless Horseman. Uh, which I did uh, not know it was Casper Van Dien. He has grown. <laughs> he is a thick boy in this film. <laughs> And could not have picked a more perfect fucking Brom Van Brunt. Brunt. Yeah. Yeah. He fit, he fits the character pretty well. Big time. Yeah. Uh, uh, of course, he was in Starship Troopers and Alita Battle Angel or some of his biggest movies. We had Jeffrey Jones returning again to this podcast. Welcome uh, back, anytime. Jeffrey. <laughs> or not. Yeah, or not. Yeah. We, you know, it's real life history anyways he's playing reverend uh, stenwick uh who's corrupt local pastor and getting down one of satan's hoes big time <laughs> uh 
uh, we've mentioned him on here several times. If you have watched a Tim Burton movie, you've seen this you've guy seen on him. here. Or or if you watched The Great Stay Tuned, you've seen him in that because yes. he played uh, Spike in that one. We have uh, Richard Griffiths uh, playing Magistrate uh, Phillips, uh, which is spelled really weird. I thought it would not be with a piece S-E at the end of it, but it is. Uh, he is a sleepy hollow law official that pays for trying to help the investigation and his price. Well, it's just his head, yeah. you know, no big deal. Uh, he's also in Harry Potter. He plays Mr. Dursley, uh, Harry Potter's uncle and a complete piece of shit. Uh, but he was also, uh, the, I think he's one of the, the nice Butler that was in King Ralph. If you've ever seen that movie, I actually enjoy that movie. Quite I a bit for used to watch that movie all the time. And I tell you what, I was obsessed with it as a kid. I, I can't remember a single thing from that movie. I just remember the fact that it was like, I love that fish out of water element to it because, you know, all the British uptight British people just like, you know, couldn't stand, you know, all the, the boorish ways that, you know, Ralph was. And I'm like, you know, it was just funny seeing like a blue collar or, or close to it American, like, you know, in that kind of high society stuff. I yeah. It's kind of interesting. Ian McDermott is playing Dr. Lancaster, the local physician. And, a lot of people know this guy because he plays one of the biggest bastards in all of uh, the galaxy and uh, as Emperor Pal- Palpatine. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jedi. <laughs> he was also in The Awakening in 1981, and he's been in a ton of other stuff, but if you look at his IMDb, it's literally Palpatine, Palpatine, yeah. Palpatine. I mean, that's that's what he's Is known Is there anything for. else? Yeah, I mean, it's like, whatever. <laughs> Uh, Michael Goh is playing the notary Hardenbrook, uh, notary and one of the conspirators. And uh, he was in another Tim Burton film. He played the original Alfred in the 1989 uh, Batman with uh, Michael Keaton. Some would say the only Batman. Uh, he also was in Alice in Wonderland. He did the voice of Dodo. Uh, he was in A Christmas Carol, the one with George C. Scott that we covered in this season. He uh, was in an old 1976 film called Satan's Slave. I, I think it's hilarious that there was a spat there after the uh, the Exorcist and uh, Rosemary's Baby came out that all these satanic films came out, but that's well, one of them. They were kind of hits, so people were like, oh, we need to roll with that. <laughs> he actually did the voice for Emmerich Belasco, uncredited in The Legend of Hell House, wow. a movie that you might also ca- catch on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, and I'll list some of these other movies he's in Horror Hospital, Crucible of Horrors, uh, aka The Corpse, The Crimson Cult, The Skull, Horrors of the Black Museum, and The Horror of Dracula. So he was in a lot of horror films, and I did not realize that till I was doing the research for this. Now, I want to throw out as a conspirator, and excuse me, he was one of the uh, conspirators, and he was also the notary. You got to imagine that he didn't document anything historically accurate for forthcoming generations because that's what notaries did back then they document literally documented everything yeah that's true so Uh, he was deliberately going going behind everybody's back to try to doctor up the the stuff so that um well uh lady van tassel could end up taking it at all ultimately whether or not he knew he was working toward that goal or not do you think she was throwing some his way, or do you think it was just toward the Reverend that she was uh, putting it out there? She was throwing some towards everyone involved. <laughs> uh, she seemed the type. Yeah. 
Christopher Walken, never heard of that guy before. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's playing, just playing the horseman. I don't know why they got such a uh, unknown actor to play the horseman, but they yeah, did. Yeah, they could have got someone a little more higher up there, you know? <laughs> uh, Hessian, headless, total badass, totally making Lady Van Tassel his hoe in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. You know that's happening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Death Holler alum, great actor. God, he's so good as Gabriel in the Prophecy. <laughs> I, I want to go back and watch that again. Just, I mean, some of those lines from that movie, like I was thinking about the other day. Uh, Lisa Marie is playing Lady Crane, She's Ichabod's so mother, hot. a white witch. And uh, yeah, for sure. And then murdered by her husband for witchcraft. Yeah, damn shame. By the way, Tim Burton's ex-wife. Um, I don't know, ex-wife or... Just they ex. probably dated. Yeah, I don't know that he's actually had a wife. I, I he I want to say that he married uh, Helena Bottom Car- Carter. He did not he because didn't. she calls he had him kids by her. Yeah, they had kids together. She calls him the uh, father to her bastard children. Oh, okay, okay, all right. Spouse. I knew there was something that connected them more than just dating. No, he's only been married to one woman. They got divorced in 1991, um, and. She looks like Helena Bonham Carter, unless that is. Helena. You know what's fun? You know what's funny about that? He realized he was getting famous. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he, he. I don't know what his original wife looked like, but he dumped her, and then he just found a string of hot goth women, and just like you know, this, this, what I'm into, and I, hey. I mean, we, we, you know, you know, in the chat, you know, hot goth women, they, you know, they, they have a special power. I mean, there's <laughs> there. So I, I don't blame him for it. I'm just saying he's definitely got a type. Whatever yeah. He's, uh, His wife looked like she was a model previously. Okay, well, um, she, she's not ugly by any means, but she's definitely not goth hot. Yeah, that's funny, too, because, like, he's goofy as hell. It, it has to be just, like, his creative, you know, energy or something or, you know, well, his money for one. But, I mean, like, you know, I it's not his looks. I mean. Oh, no, he's, he's got, he's wild. <laughs> uh, Mark Pickering plays the young Maspeth, uh, orphan and apprentice Dickbod. And rounding out the cast in a short little role is Christopher Lee, uh, the great uh, horror icon, uh, playing the Burgomaster, uh, who is tired of Ichabod's shit and sends him out to another town just to get him out of his fucking face. <laughs> and uh, he does go on to play Willy Wonka's dad, so him and, uh, and uh, well, his name, Johnny Depp, do work together in a, another Tim Burton film after this. Yeah, because when you have a job with Tim Burton, you have a job for life. Well, yeah, he he also, I mean, Christopher Lee was one of his, like, icons. So, like, he was never not going to cast him. And, and, of course, Christopher Lee was also in The Corpse Bride with Johnny Depp, I guess, technically, in that film, too. But, I mean, Tim Burton is, I mean, that was one of his, uh, you know, horror heroes. Like, I yeah. mean, so he was not going to pass up a chance to have Christopher Lee in one of his films. So, synopsis. Tired of the eccentric way in which he solves crimes, the New York police force send Constable Ichabod Crane out to a little town called Sleepy Hollow to solve a series of recent murders. The scientifically-minded Crane finds it hard to believe the claims of the locals about a murderous Hessian ghost that is taking the heads of his victims. Witchcraft, bastard heirs, and numerous decapitations follow. And that's generally how it goes, although there is a few more things in there. Uh... <laughs> So getting back, I mean, this is in the trivia, uh, but you mentioned about how Johnny Depp is 
complete opposite of what you imagine, you know, based upon their, even the description of Irving of what Ichabod Crane's supposed to look like tall, lanky, goofy looking motherfucker. Johnny Depp's more like short, you know, pretty boy, whatever. Uh, apparently, uh, when he brought this up, he actually wanted Tim Burton to make him uglier. Like, he's like, if you're going to cast me, he said, put me under prosthetics, make me look, you know, ugly yeah. like in the story. Tim Burton's like, no, no, you don't have to do that. What Tim Burton decided to do was to make Ichabod ugly by his actions and by his, you know, personality. So in the original story where Ichabod Crane was an ugly, you know, in physical appearance, but could charm the pants off of anybody because of his, you know, knowledge and his skills, this Ichabod was just an awkward kind of freak. And that's the reason he had a hard time getting, you know, with any ladies because he was always like, I mean, if you're watching the movie, like he's always like, you know, freaking out over bugs or he's like having nervous faints over stuff and just, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, Do you feel like that worked to make him, you know, less yes. attractive? I mean, speaking from a female perspective. Yes, technically, because um, he was awkward at the very least. And it's like, okay, like what? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, when you when you first get introduced to him and even Kat- Katrina Van Tassel, like she she's attracted to him, obviously. Um, <laughs> she knows he's different. Just ba- Well, first off, she knows he's different just by the kiss on the lips. Not anyone from there. <laughs> Bitch, what have you been doing? <laughs> wow. There's some hoes in this house. But um, I think it worked. I mean, kind of. I mean, you do kind of still. It's still harder than the way the Ichabod Crane looked in the in the film. Or the, the cartoon version. He was just, he looked weird. It would take a lot. A lot of personality and you better be funny as fuck. <laughs> Uh, visually there's, I love this film. Um, I, the, especially the scarecrows they have in it, even starting out, like whenever you have that, you know, the, the one, I don't even remember the character's name, but like he's in the, the carriage at the beginning of it and he's like racing by the cornfield and then you have that creepy Tim Burton, you know, uh, scarecrow with the, the pumpkin head on it. Yeah. Just perfect Tim Burton visuals. Yes. I love that part of it. Special effects are good. The bleeding tree is oh, very, I love that. you know, just soaking with blood. All the 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 heads and the you know are well done. The sound uh, effects realistic. are grody. Yeah, the uh, the decapitations. I mean, especially the part where he's like personally investigating. And he sticks that device in there, and that bug crawls out of the neck. Yeah, like, <laughs> very flashy and gross. No. Uh, I didn't mention this. I don't, or I don't think I did. Uh, Danny Elfman also did a lot of the music for this one. Yeah. Uh, but I don't feel like this is a Danny Elfman track that stands out to me. What What do you think? Um. No, it doesn't. I mean, it, it services the movie, but it's Definitely. not like it. It's not like Beetlejuice or any of those where you listen to it, you're like, oh shit, this is some good stuff. Or the original Batman theme. It's like you listen to this, and it's like mm, it's you know just kind of there, just kind of. I'll tell you what, the scenes together. I have um, Halloween Pandora party or excuse me, Halloween party on Pandora. Um, And it's got, I mean, if it doesn't explain itself, I don't know what to tell you, but there's a lot of Tim, excuse me, Danny Elfman on there. And I'll tell you what's not on there is anything from Sleepy Hollow. It's all Beetlejuice. (laughs) It's all Corpse Bride. um, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, not nothing from that. So, 
Yeah, I just don't it, – it's a, kind of a dud from him. I mean, not to say it's bad, but, I mean, bad Elfman's still good, but it's not, like, anywhere near yeah. upper tier. It just doesn't stand out, but you're 100% right. It does service the movie, and it does that very well, so. Uh, acting in the movie, <sighs> serviceable, decent. I, I, you can tell me what your thoughts are, but I, they have some of the greatest British actors – in, in cinema that would later go on to Harry Potter and just knock it out of the fucking water. Mm-hmm. And uh, you watch them in this movie, and I feel like most of them are kind of flat. I, I, I don't necessarily agree. I mean, it'll, it's not outstanding by any means. You're right. Harry Potter is a whole different world, you know. But for what this was, a bland and boring time, even the scenery itself, it's spooky, but it's bland. It looks like a rundown, small town, nothing exciting going on. Everybody's being judged for every fucking thing that they do. And people <laughs> have skeletons in their closet. So your description of the visuals describes my feelings about the movie without giving too much yes. away. Spooky but bland. But it, it's it, for me, it's serviceable for the time. There wasn't anything exciting going on. The most exciting thing going on was these people's heads getting cut off. So I had to imagine That's they the fucking thing. loved it. That's the thing, though. I feel like if you're going to go that far out with the, you know, because Christopher Walken, I mean, he's the one standout character because like the the headless horseman scenes, like, you know, whenever he was fighting the war, just the teeth, like, you know, Mm -hmm. he's high, you know, like the way he's getting into all that stuff. Very out there, appropriate to the film that they're showing because people are literally getting their heads chopped off with one swing. Blood spurting everywhere. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, Johnny Depp goes to cut. I don't understand this. Johnny Depp goes to cut into a body that's been buried for at least a couple of days and fresh red blood like squirts out all over his goggles. I figured the blood would be coagulated yes, by that point. But I was just going to leave that alone. I thought he mentioned something um, about that. I thought something was mentioned about that for some reason. But then again, they I might have been they might not have been that advanced yet. But the blood should not uh, on our end. We know. So blood shouldn't have been squirting like that. I do love the fact that a lot of his uh, forensic science was total quackery and bullshit. Like he pours out some kind of thing that's smoking. He's like, oh, this lets me know that the head was chopped off and one cleans. I was like, a potion allows you to tell. I mean, first of all, you can tell that it was cut off just by looking at it. But like, you know, (laughs) you you know that he's just giving a bunch of bullshit to these people because they're like these town bumpkins and they don't realize any better well he's raising Um, up the price of the invoice the the more he has to do to run these tests the more he's going to charge uh he was a con artist for sure and i mean he's also a con artist that kind of learns a lesson too i mean much like ichabod crane in the cartoon yeah i just feel like for uh going back to what i was saying about the acting i feel like they had actors that i mean were known in other movies for, you know, I mean, that really, you know, emoting and really putting, and, and I agree with you, if they want to go that route of they're just all kind of like, you know, very uh, conservative and like, you know, holding stuff to their chest and whatever. But they even had Jeffrey Jones in this, and that guy can overact with the best of them whenever, mm-hmm. like, the, the character of Spike. And, like, I didn't get any of that from any of these actors, and it just kind of felt like, ugh, just like, I mean, like it's uh, if that was the intent, they succeeded. But at the same time, like it, I didn't feel like it felt this movie would have been better to me. Is more like a comic book, like you know, just out there movie, like you know, just have everybody just acting, you know, overacting to the nines and just like playing into all this stuff, you know. Yeah. You, I mean, you literally got people like as soon as they're you know the. the 
you know, something happens, their head just rolls right off their shoulders. Mm-hmm. That's out there on its own. Play into that a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it 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 did it for me. <laughs> that's fine. I'm just uh, that's just the observation I had about the acting uh, story. I feel the same exact way about. I I feel like the story was convoluted, but then I mean, adding all this extra stuff on the original story, but then at the same time, it was it was just so so and and not super interesting it's it's like you you made it more convoluted but then in the process of adding all this extra stuff you didn't really add it you know a whole lot to it i did like the backstory to the hessian soldier showing more of that yes i felt like the witchcraft stuff especially now even if you want to keep the stuff with uh, lady van tassel and with katrina whatever that's you know that that's one argument and of course you know lady van tassel's uh twin sister who is the hag out in the the cave mm-hmm. they did not need any of the stuff with ichabod's mother at all no like, i that is so patched onto this movie and you and it, it just does nothing for any of it i wonder that tim burton like, and lisa marie if they were still together at the time uh, if he just kind of slapped that together for her because it was a useless part of it, they would have almost done better making her Lady Van Tassel. If they, if they wanted to go that route, they would they would have been better and then shorten that whole thing because him having the spikes in his hands from the uh, Iron Maiden didn't really factor in anything other than the fact that, you know, he had that one scene with Christina Ricci and she's like, oh, what is that? And he's like, I can't remember, blah, blah, blah. Um, and... I don't know. It, it, and then the whole Ichabod's father is very reminiscent of the character of Willy Wonka's father from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that, you know, that he would later. So it's almost like this movie was a first draft of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, at least on Ichabod's like home life. And it didn't really serve any purpose in the movie that I could tell. I mean, yeah, you had the whole thing about he was working the uh, the Cardinal, you know, flipping that little optical thing around, and he got that from his mother. They could have worked that in some other way, and that still would have worked without having that whole angle in there about Lisa Marie. Yeah, that part I don't get. We really didn't need a lot of backstory. Also, I really, even though I enjoyed the gross tree with the heads and everything like that, I don't necessarily think that the supernatural all the supernatural had to be there because look how effective the 1949 version of this was without 100%. with 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 just a sprinkle of supernatural because obviously we have the part where he sees down his neck and he's like oh shit this is a fucking ghost you know um, yeah but this took it to the extreme and it was yeah, fun only- to see but it was like not for what this is supposed to be yeah, not only was he a ghost, he was a ghost being summoned by a witch. Uh, and then also the witch was using this death's head tree or whatever to, uh, you know, connect to the other side. And it's just it's like, that's a whole lot of stuff on top of this, you know, tale just to get, you know, to emphasize that. I mean, and I, I didn't necessarily mind all of it, but I agree with you. It's It seems like overkill. Yeah, um, um, I would have liked there to actually have been a ghost, which there was. So a headless horseman, because yes, we, you and I both agree that the backstory to that was awesome. Um, this woman doing witchcraft, but not necessarily quite able to summon the uh, headless horseman as much as, you know, something's happening. Maybe she's part of a different type where some, there is a person impersonating the headless horseman and somehow that's how he gets summoned and really does show up, you know? 
Because this this I, back I in the admit, time was like this is I do like the witchcraft in the story because this is very prevalent in a time where women were being accused of this a lot. So it's kind of cool to see the real thing. I would have been fine if they would have worked the angle in, if they wanted Katrina to be, I mean, she was doing the white witch stuff to kind of protect her father and the people she loved. But then, you know, whenever it it got revealed that she was uh, doing the, you know, the uh, evil eye protection or whatever it was, the pentagrams, whatever they were, if it would have been whenever that was revealed to the public at large, if that would have been used as an acquisition against her and then there would have had been some kind of mad dash to save her from being like lynched by the town or something that was trying to, you know, you know oh, yeah. saying, like, work that angle in yes, as opposed to just making it the evil stepmother who's, you know, like actually doing the evil witchcraft. She's doing the protective witchcraft. And then there's, I mean, it, it, that even got convoluted. It's like there's too much, too many witches in this story. Yeah, I didn't even realize Christina Ritchie was a witch, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, white witch. And okay. The the one other thing is that the romance, I did not feel it at one part <laughs> of this movie between her. And I'll get into the reason why that's actually a real thing. Uh, but between her and Johnny Depp, like I never felt it no chemistry between the two of them the entire movie as far as like you know lover wise you know uh she was almost like a little sister he was taking care of yeah what were they allowed to do back in these days well nothing they weren't even allowed to have sex they were only allowed to make children yeah, but I mean, they, they could have kissed or something like that, but even like the looks they gave each other. And there's a reason for that. Like mm-hmm. I said, it's, it's in the trivia and I'll get to it. But I mean, like I just, I, you can tell that the, just the, the two of them were operating on a weird like thing behind the scenes and it wasn't really showing up on screen. Yeah. So anyways, that's my thoughts on the movie. It's just like, I mean, every time that I watch this film, I expect more out of it than what I get. It's <laughs> and you're like, not getting it, it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, I'm trying to think of a sexual reference. And, <laughs> you know, well, just like this movie, I'm it, I'm coming up short. So, anyways, it's uh, it's one of those things where I, I see the visuals. I see the cover. It's it, it, it promises me one thing. I know what the original, you know, cartoon's like. I watch the movie, and I'm like, did we need all this intrigue, like somebody working behind the scenes to try to take the, the Van Tassel, you know, like uh, money and, and inheritance or whatever, you know, and and to work in this all this weird weirdness on top of it. I mean, you have the spooky visuals, you have the other stuff, and it, it seems like it's era appropriate in a lot of other ways, but then you just kind of piss it away with like a bland story and a bland movie. Like that's what I get out of it. I have no comment think, till we start getting to like <laughs> till we start getting to ratings. Okay, okay. Well, at least on that end. All right. So you want me to go in the trivia about this one? Yes, because I have not researched any. Well, I don't research trivia typically, but nothing <laughs> on this. And you would think that I would, being obsessed with Tim Burton. So. <laughs> It was only after being cast as a headless horseman that Christopher Walken admitted oh. to director Tim Burton that he didn't actually know how to ride a horse. What the fuck, <laughs> dude? Uh, you feel like that's kind of implied in the uh, title, but... What? Why, though? Headless horseman? I thought I was just like, I had the head of a horse in my hand. 
Uh, oh, it's a, he- a headless horseman. I thought it was a horseless headsman. Yes. Whatever that is, you know. Uh, he, he thought he was getting Miranda Richardson's. Uh, he was getting a little something, something. Yeah, Diff- movie, a different kind of head. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Depp initially found the idea of Christina Ricci being his love interest in the film to be rather odd, seeing as uh, her as he's known her since she was nine years old. They first met on the set of Mermaids yes. as Depp was dating Winona Ryder. So that's what I'm talking about. Like he and I and I felt this during the movie before I ever saw this trivia. And I'm like, that makes fucking sense. It's like he saw her as a little girl that was like, you know, that. I mean, he was a much older guy, so like he, it, it, you totally get the sensation that he was looking at her, and he's like, no, I'm not in this pedo shit, and this is weird to me. Like I just can't see you as my love interest. Well, good for him. <laughs> first off, hold on, I'm just pulling up age differences right now. And it's funny because he's probably got a greater uh, age difference with Amber Heard than he does with Christina Ricci, but we'll leave that aside, you know. They have a 17-year age difference. (laughs) That's pretty massive. That's a pretty big difference. Uh, And it's even worse because, you know, who was going to be cast as the main character, but she turned it down of uh, Katrina? Why not a writer? (laughs) I mean, at least she's closer in age. That would have worked so much better. Yeah. They just would have. Because <laughs> they, they already had Edward Scissorhands together. They already dated in real life, to, you know, so it would have worked way better. Yeah, Christina Ritchie was only 19 when this film was being made, so I could see which, how. Which, there's probably the same age difference between Ichabod and the story, the original yeah. story, and Katrina as there is in this movie, but still... You know, it's one of those things where Ichabod also didn't, you know, wasn't around Katrina when she was a little girl. And then, like, you know, when they had the hots for her later, it was like he came into the situation after she was already a quote-unquote woman. Whereas Depp didn't have that luxury. It was like, oh, uh, you were just that little girl that I was, like, you know, working with, you know, a couple yeah. of decades back. Johnny Depp was 36. He didn't look much older than Christina Ricci. But he has also no. aged very well. Yeah, well, age caught up to him recently, but recently, that could have been yeah, heard like siphoning his soul off too. But yeah, you know, so I mean, he's what almost sixty now. So, by the way, his daughter's going to be in Nosferatu, so oh, that's that God. Robert Eggers film that's going to have Pennywise in it. I, I'm interested to see, you know, Johnny Depp's daughter, see how good she's at acting. Yeah. Uh, Tim Burton included scenes as uh, an homage to Disney's animated uh, version, which I noticed while I was watching this. Uh, so that includes a scene where Ichabod crosses the covered bridge and hears the frogs croaking Ichabod. And uh, and then, of course, the uh, chase sequence right after that where he's run down and unhorsed, apparently by the head of Horseman, but it turns out that it was uh, Brom that was you yes. know, portraying the, you know, at that point in time. But he actually gets the... Uh, flaming pumpkin to his head, you know, scene or whatever. Yes. And uh, there is the moment in the climactic chase scene at the end where Ichabod runs into a tree limb and is thrown through the air and ends up landing on the horse uh, horseman's horse backwards, which is similar <laughs> to the cartoon. <laughs> so, that, you know, that that's cool. That he, I mean, I didn't notice that because he's, he's walking across the bridge. He just kept hearing Ichabod. Yes. Ichabod. I'm like, okay, all right, that's what he's doing. Uh, at around 57 minutes at the start of... Uh, filming the three-way axe battle with Ray Park, uh, Johnny Depp, and Casper Van Dien. Uh, Van Dien broke the index finger of his left <gasps> hand. Although it was extremely painful, he carried on without telling anyone as he didn't want to have his part cut short. Aww. 
How sad. <laughs> but that goes to show that not only was Van Brunt uh, a badass, apparently Casper Van Dien was as well because he worked through that shit. Go on, Gaston. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the cast and crew often said the feeling one had walking around Sleepy Hollow sets, and in particular the town of, at, at Lime Tree, was almost as if you were walking around the inside of Tim Burton's head. I, I can see that. I agree. The, the, the feel of this movie in general was sad, cold, and creepy. I, th- I think that's the reason I'm so disappointed with it because it is straight. I love Tim Burton's style, his aesthetic. I love almost all of his films, but it's just like, and you get that in spades in this movie. It's just. It's missing. It's something. funny. It affected um, you and me completely differently, though. <laughs> well, we'll save it for your review because I want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, there is apparently only one cardinal bird in all of England where this movie was shot, and they weren't allowed to use it. They tried to pass off a dyed pigeon oh. that they dyed red and sort of scruffed up its hair, which was ridiculous. Tim Burton said the hardest thing on the whole film was to get a cardinal, hence the wonderful fake cardinal, which I love actually. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, uh, the exteriors were shot with a blue filter, so what? for the blood to appear red. Yeah, uh, you said it. You you said it looked depressing and and you know all that. So for the 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 blood to actually appear red, they had to actually uh, use a liquid that was bright orange, so that whenever the blue hit it, it looked red. I like that. Um, but I like the blue a lot better than that that slimy nasty green that we talked about in the ring. I still don't like that yeah. color choice they made for that movie. Uh, in real life, Casper uh, Van Dien uh, has relatives named Van Tassel, the name of the prominent family in Sleepy Hollow. That is cool. Yes. I know a Van Tassel. I actually met a Van Tassel before, and he was so unimpressed when I was like, oh, like in Sleepy Hollow. Like, this fucker had no idea what I was talking about. And I'm like, you uncultured what? motherfucker. Like, you got a name <laughs> like that, and you don't, and you don't know the history? Uh-uh, get away from here. Get out of here. This is the first adaptation of the Sleepy Hollow that doesn't involve the actor playing the headless horseman having to conceal his head in the cloak. Thanks to advancement in technology, the head of the actor was covered in a blue mask that oh. was deleted by means of computer graphics. <laughs> well, so much easier than what I thought. I thought somebody was riding around with a fucking cloak over their head. Well, that's what they had to do back in the old days. Yeah. That, that original 1922 one had that like in that way. That's so funny. Uh, and that's that's another cool thing, that thriller parade that, that I'm hoping that we can go to here shortly, me and my wife, that we go to a lot of the times. They they have like a, the, at the start of the parade, they have a headless horseman riding through the, you know, at, yeah. uh, leading the parade. And it's somebody who's got like the cloak built up to where, you know, it covers up their, their head that way. I got to go credit. I don't know how they see through the thing to be able to ride a horse, but, you know, they do it. Usually there's um, a material. There's either two ways they do it. Um, this is what I've learned from certain parades is there is either material that it that you can't see through it from the outside, but from the inside you could see out. So they do have that. They also have where they can do cameras that can't be seen. And the person oh, inside cool. can see it has a screen where they can see what's going on. Uh, the collar was created with CGI to match the flow of the robe. Uh, Tim Burton said Johnny Depp is one of the best fainters in the business. He also wakes up good for me. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Creepy. Yeah, that's that last line really is like, okay. Wakes what, what, up what real party. Whether he wakes up or is there something? The exterior scene where Ichabod Crane is given a horse was filmed on the Royal Hunting Grounds. Queen Elizabeth, uh, the second's hunting party, actually came riding through the locale while they were singing off to the side. 
the horror aesthetic about crane rides provided a lot of amusement for the cast and crew because it was extremely flatulent. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Gun god! Gunpowder was producing a lot of a uh, lot of dry shots there. A lot of butt like, blasts. So. Crane's being out of his depth is emphasized by his mounting and dismounting his horse on the right side rather than the left. Uh, Casper Van Dien is an is excellent on horseback. Johnny Depp, not so much. <laughs> Which fits apart because I mean, yeah. you know, you would want Van or you want Brom to be good at horseback riding, and you would want Ichabod to be kind of shitty. At I it. wouldn't have known that Johnny Depp wasn't as good, but what the fuck? Okay, I'm sorry. I got to go back to this whole uh, cranes being out of his depth. Uh, wait, mounting and dismounting. Oh, okay. Okay. Never mind. I remember that scene. Sorry. I, we had to go back. I thought you were talking about, um, for some reason, I thought you were talking about Christopher Walken getting, because he wasn't. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, because he couldn't ride a horse. I had to process to that. I am sorry. A mechanical horse, an updated model of the one used in earlier movies, was used for studio shots. Uh, and Johnny Depp adopted Goldeneye, the horse that played Gunpowder, Ichabod Crane's horse in the film, when he heard it was about to be put down. Oh, why were they going to put it down? Uh, just the age, I guess. And Aww. so Johnny Depp took him on, and, and you know, so good on him. Oh, I love that. This movie and Bringing Out the Dead 99 were the last movies to be released on Laserdisc. Laserdisc. I never uh, owned or watched anything on Laserdisc. I never owned or watched anything on Laserdisc either, but apparently it was very it was superior to DVD. It just didn't catch on because it was just you know too clunky to have to use. Okay, I take that back. I did watch something on Laserdisc back in middle school because we actually had a teacher with a you know play a science uh, TV special or some kind of science movie for us, and it was on Laserdisc because I remember whenever he got it out and like loaded up that thing was like as big as his head, and I'm like, what in the hell is that? You know, yeah. like whenever he loaded in there. Jesus Christ. Uh, the <laughs> yeah, the majority of this uh, movie's 150 visual effects shots were handled by Industrial Light and Magic, while Kevin Yeager supervised the human and creature effects. Uh, frame store also assists on digital effects and the mill handled uh, motion control photography in part a reaction to the computer generated effects and Mars attacks uh, Tim Burton opted to use as uh, a limited amount of digital effects as possible Ray Park who served as the headless horseman stunt double wore a blue ski mask for the chroma key effect digitally removed by industrial light and magic Burton and Heinrichs applied many of the techniques they had used in stop motion animation on Vincent in in 82, which is what also he used on, you know, Corpse Bride and some others later. Yeah. uh, Such as forced uh, perspective sets. Uh, The final chase sequence on the coach in the Western Wood took three weeks to film. Three weeks for one scene. Damn. Damn, that would have sucked. Ichabod Crane faints a total of five times throughout the movie. He is induced into unconsciousness by Katrina's medicine after his violent meeting with a horseman. Katrina, by comparison, faints twice. So this movie's woke as fuck, dude. No, (laughs) it was before that time, but kind of funny. Uh, If they they made that movie now, he'd faint like 20 times, and Katrina would be the one defeating the horseman. Absolutely. Uh, while director Tim Burton admired Andrew Kevin Walker's original script, he hired the famed playwright and Academy Award-winning screenwriter Tom Stoppard as a script doctor. Uh, Stoppard did an uncredited rewrite to tone down the violence of Walker's script. This movie would have been more violent in the original form. I wished I would have seen that Yes, movie. what the fuck? 
Tim Burton. I am that, so that, mad. That was his call. Uh-uh. According to Burton in the DVD commentary, the flashback scene in the torture chamber is inspired by the pit and the pendulum uh, in 61, which stars uh, uh, Vincent Price, one of Tim Burton's idols, and Black Sunday in 60. Like I said, it doesn't really fit the film, but if that's he wanted to throw it in there just because he wanted to callbacks to old movies he loved and whatever. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola's minimal production duties came from American Zoetrope. Uh, Tim Burton only became aware of Coppola's involvement during editing when he was sent a copy of the movie's trailer and saw Coppola's name on it. Burton, coming off the troubled production of Superman, Lives, was uh, hired to uh, direct in June of 98. I had never really done something that was more of a horror film, he explained. It's Uh funny because these are the kind of movies that I like probably more than any other genre. And it's also movies that most people associated with him, even if he doesn't technically do horror movies. Yeah. Uh, I mean, most of his films have some kind of element that's horrific. And it's just funny that he doesn't consider that he's directed one outside of this and maybe a one or two more. Yeah. The scene with the family being attacked by the horseman generated some talk amongst the producers and studio representatives. In particular, it was the sequence where the small child had stalked, captured, and killed off screen that led some to wonder if perhaps that section should be trimmed. I always remember as a child, I hated movies with children because they were always treated differently given uh, the break, and we decided to treat them like everybody else. I'm assuming that's from Burton that yeah. said that it was uncredited. but I like it. it it's more horrific. Yeah. It gives it more of that real-time fear yeah i mean it really stands out it's just i mean it's you get to that scene you're like fuck i'm for it they yeah. even the kid in this scene casper van dien gained 30 pounds for this role that's where you talk about mm-hmm. he, he bulked up he had that that big had that corn fed bod he was a husky boy ichabod clutching his bed covers close to his face when he uh says he saw the headless horseman kill Magistrate Phillips, uh, was intended by Johnny Depp as an homage to the scene with Withnall and I in 87, a favorite film of his, where Withnall covers his head as he listens to an intruder entering the cottage, uh, who turns out to be his uncle Monty, who was also played by the same actor oh, who, fucking was, uh, shit. Who, who was killed. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, the last live action. Uh, this is live. This is the last live action movie of Michael Go, the Notary Hardenbrook. He did like a couple of voices after this. I think I mentioned that one in uh, Alice in Wonderland. But mm-hmm. he he was very. I, I mean, he was old in this movie, yeah. so he had to have been in poor health. Director Tim Burton was impressed by the cinematography and great expectations in 98 and hired Emmanuel Lubeski as his movie's director of photography. Initially, Lubeski and Burton contemplating shooting the movie in black and white and in the old Academy ratio of 137 to 1. When that proved to be unfeasible, they opted for an almost monochromatic effect, which would enhance the fantasy aspect. Burton and Lubeski intentionally planned the over-dependency of smoke and soft lighting to accompany this movie's uh, sole wide-angle lens strategy. Uh, Lubeski also used Hammer Film Productions horror and, and uh, Mexican lucha movies <laughs> from the 60s, such as Santo Contra Los Zombies and Santos uh, versus La Mujeres Vampiro. Oh my uh, God. In 62. Santo Contra Los Zombies and Santo versus Las Mujeres Vampiro. <laughs> there you go. Don't expect me to say those right. Lighting effects increased the dynamic energy of the Headless Horseman while the contrast of the film stock was increased in post-production to add to the monochromatic feel. That's one of the things I like about this is most of the movie almost has a black and white feel, but the blood is like super bright. Yes, and I I do appreciate that. Um, Also, the horse, the, uh, the Headless Horseman's horse, 
Did that one have a name? Uh, it was. I, no, I don't remember having it well, having one in boo. any of the things. But I like its red eyes. It's Daredevil. Yeah, I I did like its red eyes. Uh, Ray Park, who created his best-known role as Darth Maul uh, in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, uh, in the same year, was the uh, fighting and stunt double for the Headless Horseman. Tim Burton credits Park with giving the character a great sense of movement. Uh, the character doesn't have a head, so you have uh, you don't you don't have much else to go on. Yeah. Uh, the movie features three actors who played Sith lords. You have Ray Park as Darth Maul, Christopher Lee, who's uh, Darth Tyrannus, and of course. Palpatine, Darth Sidious. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> Park's face is never seen as he is one of the stunt doubles for the Headless Horseman. Horseman's other stunt double, Rob Inch, doubled for Jedi Knights in Star Wars and fought a duel against Park in Star Wars Episode One. A lot of Star Wars in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Depp's third collaboration with Tim Burton. Uh, likewise, Jeffrey Jones had worked with Burton and Beetlejuice and Ed Wood. Martin Landau, who uh, had starred in Ed Wood as well. Michael Goh worked on Batman and Batman Returns. And almost the entire design team from Batman recruited for Sleepy Hollow, too. So Fucking awesome. Burton's one of those guys that you have a job for life when you work with him. Uh, Christopher Walken, the Headless Horseman, uh, uh, or... Uh, played a school teacher in the dead zone, assigning his class to read the legend of sleepy hollow That's in that movie. Cool. That's a nice little <laughs> callback. Uh, Bob Dawson is responsible for the title credits. And like composer, Danny Elfman has worked with Tim Burton several times. He says they help give a flavor and a tone to the feeling of the film. Okay. Uh, well, they kind of do in this one cause they got yeah. that old timey scroll as far as like the, you know, how the fawn is and all that stuff. Yeah. So they do kind of give that. The final chase originally involved a sequence with the horseman catching on fire, but it was abandoned early on because we were having some production problems. What are those production uh, problems? I need to know. Mention, Damn I it. Guess they, I guess they were having a hard time saving those doors. I mean, Oh, yeah, save the doors. <laughs> Johnny Depp did all of his own stunts for the final scene where he's dragged by the horse. He had bulletproof clothing underneath his wardrobe so wow. that he wouldn't get scratched up. At around 55 minutes when Katrina Van Tassel is casting a spell of Rickabod's medicine, the spell is actually taken from an ancient Christian hymn, uh, Te Deum. Uh, she says in Media Nos Laudamus, uh, which translates to we are in the midst of praise. Okay, sounds like a prayer, a.k.a. a spell. <laughs> this was originally to be a Kevin Yeager directorial project. Tim Burton later took on the project with Yeager remaining on with co-producer credit amongst others. Okay. Uh that might almost also explain a little bit why I don't I don't know I don't get the Tim Burton vibe as heavy from this movie. I mean he interjected it, but it's not. But maybe that's because he came on like later, you know, so late in the production that he just went with it or something. Yeah, kind of a handoff or something. Uh, Adam Schroeder, who sh uh, shepherded Tim Burton's uh, Edward Scissorhands as studio executive, Twentieth Century Fox, suggested that Tim Burton direct this movie. That's the reason he got it. And in the opening scene, Martin Landau is riding in a four-wheel horse-drawn carriage, which is called a Landau. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first uh, script had to be some of, uh, had some of its violence toned down, like we said, boo. But for uh, why? Even so, it's, it's even so, it's one of Tim Burton's goriest films, which it is. Fucking shit! It's already yeah, gory. Why are we toning this shit down? I don't know. Uh, you know, this two this makes two movies in a row between this and the fog that should that would have been better off yes. with some violence in it. Lightning precedes each horseman appearance and attack. 
I saw it a couple times. I don't know if I saw it every time. I didn't even realize. According to, <laughs> according to director Tim Burton, the opening shots of Peter Van Garrett were shot by Conrad L. Hall, who was a friend of director of photography, Emmanuel Lubezki. Um, Andrew, Kevin Walker's script, which was the first thing that attracted Tim Burton to the project, changed some elements from Washington Irving's story, but Burton was happy to keep Ichabod Crane's sense of squeamishness. Okay. Which I don't... I don't feel like in the story he's all that squeamish. He's, he's, you know, he's into the supernatural and he's, you know, all the time. I mean, you know, like we said, you know, he's scaring himself and, and but he's, it never really shows him shying away from like bugs or anything like that. No. So I think, yeah. Especially I think, when the I bug crawled out of that. Might, oh, go ahead. I think Tim Burton might've had, you know, like a, a false idea of what Ichabod was supposed to be like from the get-go yeah Maybe. squeamish is not how i would describe this ichabod i mean he passed out a few times whoa <laughs> uh included among the american film institute's 2001 list of 400 movies nominated for the top 100 most heart-pounding american movies uh i don't know how i mean i guess it scares people it uh, doesn't really scare me much but anyways you're numb the opening scene in what you're numb well, that's true, but Smile scared me, so yeah. go out there and watch wow. Smile. Wow, one whole movie of the catalog <laughs> we have reviewed. <laughs> it takes a lot, folks. It takes a lot. The opening scene in, in this is the only one actually filmed near the location of Sleepy Hollow. Uh, filmmakers had hoped to shoot on location upstate New York, but the places they looked at didn't lend themselves to the expressionism they wanted. Responsible for the production design was Rick uh, Heinrichs, uh, whom director Tim Burton uh, intended to use in Superman Lives. While the production crew was always going to build a substantial number of sets, the decision was taken early on that to fulfill uh, Burton's vision best would necessitate shooting the movie in a completely controlled environment at Lesden Film Studios. The production design was influenced by Burton's love for Hammer Film Productions and Black Sunday, uh, particularly the supernatural feel they evoked as a result of being filmed primarily on sound stages. Uh, Heinrichs was also influenced by American colonial architecture, German expressionism, Dr. Seuss illustrations, and Hammer Film Productions' Dracula has risen from the grave from in 68. Uh, one soundstage at Leveston was dedicated to the forest to field set uh, for the scene in which the headless horseman races out of the woods and into a field. This stage was then transformed into variously a graveyard, a cornfield, a field of harvested wheat, a churchyard, and a snowy battlefield. Wow. In addition... A, they got a lot of use out of that. In addition, a small backlot area was devoted to New York City Street and waterfront tank. Wow. Uh, the western wood was built on a soundstage, so everything, including the weather and light, could be controlled. But the fake forest built on the soundstages became real forest by the time they wrapped because, uh, according <gasps> to Burton, they became infested <sighs> with bugs and birds. Oh, my God. And the sounds of birds in this movie are often that of real uninvited creatures that had made their homes in the tr fake trees that they had built. Oh, shit. <laughs> so we've got another movie here, folks. One lost the time, or podcast lost the time on Legend, where some birds got inside of a building uh, oh. with a bunch of fake trees and uh, made, made homes out of it. <laughs> Uh, they built the small town for exterior shots only. Uh, the church is still standing, and they lit it in part with two giant lights held above the uh, streets with large cranes. The local newspapers ah. received reports of UFOs in the area, and that's when the lights were used. Fucking <laughs> people. What the hell? 
There's a damn UFO here. Go look it up. Sharon, look outside. <laughs> I can see Ozzy say it. Sharon. <laughs> Lewiston Studios uh, converted aircraft factory presented problems because of its relatively low ceilings. This was less of an issue for Star Wars Episode One, while which set uh, height uh, was generally achieved by digital means. Uh, so apparently they filmed this even in the same studio as Star Wars. So there you go. Well, goddamn. Uh, our visual choices get channeled in violent production design. Rick Heinrichs elaborated. So you end up with liabilities that tend to ex- uh, exploit his virtues. When you've got a certain ceiling height and you're dealing with painted back backings, you need to push atmosphere and diffusion. This was particularly the case in several exteriors that were built on sound stages. We would mitigate the disadvantages by hiding lights with teasers and smoke. Which I like that. I mean, the smoky, foggy effect actually gave it like a creepier vibe, I thought. Uh, they used a series of tubes to create and shoot fog across wide distances. Uh, director Tim Burton credits it and director of photography Emmanuel Lubeski with making the sets appear to have more depth than they actually did. And uh, the windmill uh, was a 60-foot-tall forced perspective exterior visible to highway travelers several miles away, a base and rooftop set, and one fourth-scale miniature. The interior of the mill, which was about 30 feet high and 25 feet wide, featured wooden gears equipped with mechanisms for grinding flour. A wider view of the windmill was uh, rendered on Leveston's soundstage set with a one-fourth-scale windmill complete with rotating vanes, painted sky backdrop, and visual effects fire. It was uh, scary for the actors who were having burning wood explode at them. Production designer Rick Heinrichs recalled, there were controls in place and people standing by with hoses, of course, but there's always a chance of something going wrong. Oh, yeah. For the final, for the final shot of the burning mill exploding, the one-fourth scale windmill and painted backdrop were directed against the outside wall of the light shed, a spacious hangar on the far side of Leveson Studios. The hangar's interior walls were knocked down to create a 450-foot run with a 40-foot wide steel uh, allowing for coach and cameras. And then Heinrichs tailored the set so cinematographer Lubeski could shoot from above without seeing the, the end of the stage. Wow. The fucking amount of fucking hoops they have to jump through. Just because they were filming it on a soundstage instead of outside. Uh, Christopher Eve or Christmas Eve, <laughs> sorry, Christmas Eve, uh, Christopher Lee is not in this uh, part of it, but anyways, Christmas Eve, 1998 was spent dragging Johnny Depp through leaves all day. Tim Burton seemed pretty okay with that. No, okay. <laughs> uh, the scene with the spider was added because there was literally a bug wrangler on set every day. And Tim Burton said that since he was there, why not use him? So that's yeah. the reason that spider was added in. Uh, Johnny Depp chose to make Ichabod even more delicate and fragile, uh, citing his inspiration as Angela Lansbury's performance on Death of the Nile in 78. He also took inspiration from Basil Rathbone and Roddy McDowell. Uh, Depp, uh, Depp wanted to add prosthetics to his face, like I said, to make Ichabod more attractive, but um, Tim Burton said that uh, he felt making Ichabod's personality quirks uh, be what made him unattractive was more you know, what he had in mind. So there you go. Um. He tried. Uh, yeah. An effort was made. Daniel, so we always we do this thing on some movies where, where this available where other people might have been cast. So Daniel Day-Lewis, Liam Neeson, and Brad Pitt were considered Rickabod Crane. Daniel Day, maybe. Liam and Brad, no. Uh, this was merely a formality requested by the studio as Johnny Depp was always the first choice for the role in this. Wow. So it's like just to make uh, you feel better, we... Maybe would have considered you, but it was always going to be Johnny. 
Uh, Winona Ryder was offered the role of Katrina Van Tassel, but turned it down. But why? Uh, that's a shame. I, I mean, don't know. I think that I think she would have been better than Richie. I'm not saying that I don't. Richie's great, but uh, I still think that there's that weird thing between her and and depth, and that's re- and the reason they didn't actually have much chemistry the way they were supposed to, at least on screen. Yeah, and but to be fair, though, Katrina Van Tassel is supposed to be a young and upcoming, because at 19, that's even old. Yeah, granted, she probably she was, was at 19. Yeah, she was supposed to be like 17, 18 yes. at, at oldest. So know? I think Christina Ritchie, even if you look at the, the cover of this movie, she looks really young, like a child. Um, you were supposed to be young when you were, you know, given away with a, uh, what, what is that called? A dowry, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, Marlon Brando was the first choice to play the Hessian. I don't see that. Marlon yeah. Brando was like huge. I mean, huge, not in a sense of just like his acting ability, which he was, but he was a large man unless he lost a lot of weight. And I just don't see him playing that part like Chris did. Yeah. Uh, during the opening credits, Sir Christopher Lee's name is credited, despite the fact that his scene, his only scene is already passed by the time the credits even start. <laughs> it's like you see him and he's gone, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, and Christopher Lee's in this." It's like, yeah, I literally just saw yeah. the dude. Like that's it. He died. Christopher Lee credited Tim Burton casting him in this film with revitalizing his then floundering film career, which helped him receive the role of Wizard Saruman in the Lord of the Rings trilogy by Peter Jackson, who we've already covered for this season, and the role of Count Dooku in Star Wars uh, Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Wow. So, Tim Burton, I, this movie's good for one thing, if nothing else. Christopher Lee, I mean, was perfect in both those roles, I thought. Yeah. Although director Tim Burton claims the windmill scene was a reference to Frankenstein, which he lovingly quoted in Frankenweenie, a uh, stronger link can be made to Will Hayes' Oh, Mr. Porter, which also featured a windmill, but not a headless horseman. Okay, you say Frankenweenie 1931, but Frankenweenie, the most recent one, also had... Or 1984. 1984. Yeah, both of them did, but yeah. the Frankenweenie in 1984 was the one that was live action. It had that... Uh, oh, okay. Had the guy, had the guy in it uh, who uh, playing the dad who was... Uh, and I can't remember his the actor's name right now, but he was in Home Alone. He played uh, uh, Harry. Or no, wait a minute. Let's see. Is Marv the tall one? I can't even remember yes. which of the two. There's Harry and so. Marv. So yeah. anyways. Um, Sleepy Hollow and Carrie on Screaming... Uh, in 66, are pastiches of Hammer with an inept detective as a protagonist. They also share a scene where the detective attempts to find a pattern in his clues by writing them down in random order, producing an answer that is absurdly off the mark. Uh, so it basically hints that uh, Ichabod Crane is not a very good detective, even with all of his uh, forensic science that he has. At around 57 minutes... Uh, Brom gets a knife thrown into his leg by the Headless Horseman, which is similar to Starship Troopers, where <laughs> Johnny Rico, Van Dien, again, gets injured in the same leg by Warrior Bug. Oh, my God. Uh, in the film, Lady Crane, Ichabod's mother, uh, was uses a thematotrope, a real-life optic toy, a disc with a picture on each side, which is attached to two pieces of string. When the strings twirled quickly between the fingers, the two pictures appear to blend into one uh persistence of vision its use in this film seems to be anachronism though as the earliest known thematotrope was introduced in 1825 and the film is supposed to take place in the 1700s so 
Um, I'm sorry. She was on that. she was playing with something at the beginning because all I noticed were the two melons she was smuggling under that dress. Uh, Lisa Marie and her, her and her melons. Yeah. Juggles. <laughs> right, rating time. Uh, I don't want to go out on, on a negative, so I'm going to just say mine. It's 3.6 out of 5. I've already said it. I love the visuals. Uh, and some of the changes in the story, I mean, I, I do like some of the, the making the uh, some of the town council people kind of, you know, g- giving a hint of that there's some, you know, I don't know, like conspiracy wrongdoings going on there. But the acting, uh, the choice and how they portrayed Ichabod and the extraneous scenes with Ichabod's mother just don't, they, I don't know. They all add up to where I'm just blah on this movie. So <laughs> this is funny because this is where you and I have two opposite, not opposite, but mostly opposite views. Cause I really did like this movie a lot. Um, and our, mm-hmm. our actual ratings are similar. This is going to be a 3.8 for me. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I do really like this. Um, I, I love the gore. I love the sound. I love the visuals. I actually do like the acting. I think it perfectly uh, calculates the bland time this was. Boring fucking time. If anything, they tried to bring more excitement to it. Um, it didn't pan out very well for you. For me, it worked. But it's not quite a four to a five because I don't appreciate what they do did to the story um i don't even though i like the i i liked seeing the super um supernatural elements i think it could have been just as scary and gory without it you had heads being cut off i i agree with you and just going back to what you said tonally i think that the, the that's the problem for me is that if they're going to go with flat acting that would have been fine if they would have been more serious uh and well i don't and more down to earth with a kind of like how they, how they portrayed the horseman but he's just so out there and like some of the stuff he does is so like comic book he just like literally one swipe and he's cutting the people's heads off yes that's why i go back to that i'm like you have that tone that's more like you know extraneous and out there and then especially and even the scene with the witch like they they go see that witch in the in the cave which i didn't bring up but like you know other than just mentioning her but like she just all of a sudden like when she says the other is coming and then like that weird face that they put on her that's got like the hollowed out eyes and the snakes coming out of it or whatever it is and like that whole thing and the way that he reacts to her it's 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 out there and it's like you know way way overdone but then everybody else is just kind of like we're prim and proper from the 1700s yeah. you know it's like mm, that don't work that just don't, I mean they don't work together and. I mean, even the little bits of comedy they do are kind of like, you know, more out there comedy. Um, and it doesn't fit like the kind of the sad sack, you know, like we're, we're too Victorian or whatever to, to be, or too Puritan to, to really have much emotion type, you know, thing they were going on with the acting, but that's just kind of where I am with it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, two but, different views of it. And I really liked this film. <laughs> this is a rewatchable one for me. Um, a uh, weird fact, my uh, child at four to five years old used to play this every night to go to bed. One of those just like <laughs> Annabelle. Uh, she doesn't remember 
it. But this and Sweeney Todd was one of those films she would play and fall asleep at night. Why, as parents, we didn't say, maybe this is a, not a good film to go to sleep with. I don't know why <laughs> we allowed that. I don't know what the fuck was wrong with us. Um, but we allowed it. Um, and now I'm dealing with the consequences of having a creepy-ass teenager. Uh, yeah, I, I do think it's interesting that we're so close in, in our scores, given the fact that, I mean, I'm not saying it's one that I don't go back and rewatch on occasion, but this is like a once every three, two to three years type thing around Halloween time. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, it, I mean, just because when it's every time I'm, I, you know, I, I don't know why I do this. It's like, you like this movie. You like this movie. Everybody says this is a good movie. And I think it's because it's peer pressure more than anything. And I watch it and I'm like, I don't like this movie. I like Tim Burton stuff. Why don't I like this, you know, as much as I should? Which so. is funny because I watch it just as often. But for me, to, it's different. For me to rewatch a movie that many times, even though it's a few years in between, that's a big deal for me because I do not rewatch anything, hardly. So. <laughs> It's funny. It's, you know, how our, like I said, our reviews and how our, our feelings about it kind of different. And then our rewatchability of it is exactly the same. Our our ratings are almost the same, but we're just over here on what we think of, you know, the actual film. So yeah, it's pretty I can't, funny. I can't give a blow what I did. I mean, I was sitting there and I was going rated higher and I'm like, nope, it's not any better than a 3.6 for me. And, and then I, and I was sitting there thinking, I was like, but I don't want to rate it any lower because it's not a terrible film. It's like, I mean, it, there are elements I do enjoy about it. It's just, you know, it, it just doesn't capture me. It's not like anytime that I see Beetlejuice on TV, I'm going to have a good time. When I see this on TV, I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is not going to be a good time. Uh, it's it's going to be a mediocre time at best. And then I'm going to be like, why was it this better than it was? Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, anything you want to, uh, want to go over or plug before we, uh, call it a wrap on ghost season. Uh, this is a wrap on ghost season and, uh, wow, we've made it, uh, stay tuned because we have a slasher season coming up and more reviews from our very own, uh, Donnie G over at video smash up. Um, I'm going to be posting those every still until we get to season two, which starts in November. I'm going to be posting those here and there so be on the lookout for those and really that's all i have to say well with that peace be with you and with your spirit <laughs>